0: pandemic got us into a reflective space and made us look inward to see what we can do for the world at large as a self-expression coach I became a catalyst for women and started Vani a one-on-one coaching program for women on finding their voice to speak up to be visible as a storyteller, I spotted that there were many ordinary people amongst us leading extraordinary lives making a difference to the world and they needed to be heard. Thus was born You and I with Rashmi Shetty, where amazing personal journeys with their uniqueness and individuality are showcased, a reaffirmation of the fact that Open your eyes wider, the world is far more beautiful when we acknowledge the presence of both you and I. Our guest today is Dr. Pratima N. Kinney. An experienced and versatile medical professional from Bangalore. She holds an undergraduate medical degree from the Kasturiba Medical College, Mangalore, and has completed her postgraduation in pathology from Bangalore Medical College. She is board certified in lifestyle medicine by the International Board of Lifestyle Medicine and is also a trained child and adult counselor. Pratima balances her career with her passion for fitness, travel and culinary experimentation. She possesses an ardent desire to share knowledge and promote a healthier lifestyle in people and the world. Listen in as she shares how simple methodologies can make a happier world, universe and planet. Such a pleasure having you on you and I with Rashmi Shetty. Yeah. You are a doctor by qualification and MBBS, but I was astounded when recently I saw you giving a talk on lifestyle medicine, which is what everyone around us is talking and people are not even sure whether this is genuine or not. And when you were giving scientific facts, it made it completely real for me. And that's why I thought, let me invite you and listen to you and your journey on how you arrived at doing what you're doing. So... Where and how did Pratima's life begin? Where was your childhood? And were you as quiet as you are today, even as a little girl?
1: (laughs) (laughs) First of all, let me thank you, Rashmi. This is something um, very unexpected. And I was truly honored, you know, when you asked me. Um, And since it's just about anything and everything, I just thought I'll take the plunge. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I'll answer your last question first, uh, whether I was a very quiet girl, far from it. So probably, you know, I was only listening to what you're asking uh, of me. And so I was quiet, but uh, that is something I am not. I can talk 19 to the dozen and I've been like this ever since i was a little girl and they used to actually pay me to just shut up mm-hmm. so <laughs> i used to if they would ask me one thing you know i will tell them 10 things and it continues even now You know, you ask me one thing and i'm like going deeper deeper and then like no i think that's enough <laughs> i should be asked to stop <laughs> yeah so uh, that's that that's how i am um <clears throat> but my i was born in mangalore Bangalore uh, proper, uh, you know, Cast Street, which is a very famous uh, street in Bangalore That's where um, I was, and my parents were over there. And I lost my father a little early in my um, childhood, and so I moved to Bangalore. And my uncle, my paternal uncle, that's my father's brother and his wife, they kind of took us over me, my sister, and my brother, and we were raised here in Bangalore. Uh, so I did all my schooling my college up to um, uh, the 12th standard here that is I went to first pew second pew I finished that and then when I got a seat back in KMC Mangalow is when I went back to Mangalore. so spent about four and a half years over there I met my husband in KMC Mangalow and then after marriage you know I was brought back to Bangalore because that's where uh, Naveen you know my husband is from So from then on, I've been in Bangalore. I haven't moved anywhere. I've been here, practicing here for the past uh, 32 years.
0: Okay. So as you were growing up, Pratima, apart from studies, clearly you must have been a good student uh, if you made it to medicine. But apart from studies, was there anything that fascinated you or was part of your growing up years? Any uh, extracurricular activity? be it sports or
1: cultural, anything that was going of you growing up? I loved acting. Yeah, yeah. So any school play, anything that was there, I was there. And I, I had to, you know, somehow get a part. And of course, the school also kind of recognized and made sure that, you know, even we used to have this annual Parent's Day celebrations. And every play that was there, I definitely would have a role in it. And I was called the acting queen, even at home, the way I would sit and uh, be in front of the mirror all the time. And I used to really look up at all, you know, up to all these uh, actors and actresses. In fact, if I was in some trouble, I would think Amitabh Bachchan was one of my favorites. So I think what would Amitabh have done in this situation? You know, those kind of thoughts used to be. So I was really, really uh, very fascinated with acting. And that was something that I loved to do. Wow. Okay. (laughs) And
0: it's surprising how acting never distracted you. And uh, when it came to studies, you were a very focused student
1: uh no i i mean i knew i had to do something and you know back in those times we didn't have so much of a choice that uh it's either you become an engineer or a doctor or at the most maybe a lawyer they wouldn't have a fourth choice anything else was like oh maybe she's not good at it and so that's why she's taken it up which is which is not really okay any profession i come to realize now that any profession has its own charm, has its own importance. And if you're good at it, you should just go for it. But those days, you know, this was the only choice that was given. And I was like more inclined towards uh, taking up engineering because I liked math and I really used to, you know, used to score well in math also. So I thought, okay, engineering, so I'll take it up. But if you see my family, I was the first person to get a free seat for becoming a doctor and you know how the oh, you're getting this and you do want to be a doctor and so I was kind of pushed towards it and it's not like at that age you really know what is good for you so whatever you know the elders say yeah, they must be knowing better so okay. I took it up so I just knew that I could do it I took it up as a uh, you know as a seat and started studying for it yeah
0: okay so clearly you met your husband there but yeah, yeah. That, so
1: it worked <laughs> out
0: <laughs> and beyond that uh, what was medicine to you once you got in there and what did you go further to specialize in um
1: i was actually very fascinated when when you, you don that white coat and the kind of respect and awe with people look at you because you, you are this person who really has earned that seat and you must be really very clever and all that. So I was really under that uh, that aura that, that, that you are becoming a doctor. Uh, but clearly, I always tell that your perception of becoming a doctor before you get into medicine When you're actually studying and after you pass out, they are totally different. Uh, It's not the same. And you learn as you are getting the same life experiences that all of us go through. This medicine also changes with that. Your, um, uh, what shall I say? Your perception or your uh, viewpoint about medicine changes accordingly. And I must say that what I thought when I was a student, is way different from what I'm thinking of it now. So uh, that 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 glamour, of course, is not there anymore. It's not that I go about, sometimes I don't even put my prefix as doctor because I want to be known as Pratima first before anything else. So I many a time, I don't even go to mention unless I'm specifically prodded and asked, what do you do? Where have, What have you specialized? Because I feel every person is important and what that person is is more important than what that person is qualified to become. So that is what is important. That is my perception now. That is how I look at it. Okay, and I've been
0: hearing this in the last two, three answers, that everything Mm -hmm. has shifted, everything has changed now, but what is it that was different when you entered and what is it that you left uh, your medical college with
1: that made you look at any profession and every profession differently? See, the, like I said, when we get the seat that you feel proud that you, you you earned this seat and you really are put over there in a pedestal by your family, by society. And then you go to a class and you see there are so many other people who are like you. So then, you know, you you come down to earth and you say, hey, this is where it is. And, and then you see the amount of studies you have to do. It's, it's not an easy task when um, you've just entered, you come to a new place and then you're surrounded by new people and you're learning things in a totally different language. In the sense, the books are English, of course, but anatomy which is one of the first subjects that you get um, introduced to is all greek and latin absolutely actual latin the words are latin and you all tongue-twisting names you have to buy heart and you have to remember because you are asked and you just have to chuck, chuck, chuck. give the answers you have to know about the entire human body right from the head to the tip of your toes by the end of one and a half years and there is so much to learn and you really don't know what what to pay importance to what is not important because you think everything is important but it's humanly impossible to sit and remember those things and then you come to second year and second year i mean first year you have three subjects second you have four subjects in addition to that you have clinics also added to that and so morning time you spend spending in the clinic in the hospital and the evening time you're studying suddenly from all studies you are into practicals and studies so trying to balance that that becomes difficult and then you start thinking did I really want to get into this you know uh, was this what I was uh, you don't know that you signed up for such a thing and you really don't know whom to ask because this is what everybody is undergoing so you go with the flow and then you come and then you finish your exam and you're happy that you've done it you have this uh, prefix doctor and you feel proud again once again until you're thrown back over there and you are in this sea where everything depends on what you decide you have to n- remember the name of the drugs to prescribe what that patient is you know uh, suffering from everything on the spot there is nothing like i'll go back read my book and come so you are learning on the go so totally from what you were in the first year it has changed okay and then you realize that an MBBS is not enough you need to specialize so here comes the exams again you start studying all over again I would say one thing became easy for me choosing what I wanted to become because you have so many subjects that you can specialize in and it becomes difficult because uh you're good at something and then you say oh but that is more interesting or this is my passion so again you have a whole sea of subjects to choose from and surgery was something I was like inclined to do and there are not many women surgeons not that I think but I love doing things with my hand you know suturing anyway in the when we were in the emergency ward any suturing I would be there sitting and wanting to do and repair and all that so I was more, I I thought I was inclined towards that. And then I got married. So when I got married, my in-laws are both doctors. My mother-in-law is, uh, and and they were running a nursing home in Rajajinagar over here. So my father-in-law is a pediatrician and my mother-in-law is actually a pathologist. But because they were running a nursing home, there were so many... Lady patients who were coming in, and they just wanted my mother-in-law to see them because she was so good with them, and she would see them through their pregnancies and conduct their deliveries also. So um, then, uh, the best thing would be for me to, you know, either take up gynecology because my husband's a pediatrician, and that's the best team that you can have. You 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 are the gynecologist; he's the pediatrician, so you you kind of form a team. But then there's also pathology. My mother also was a pathologist. So then the pathology is they they need somebody to run the lab. So, you know, that can uh, go on. And what I realize is becoming a pathologist gives you um, that uh, that leeway, that freedom to also have a family life. Mm -hmm. Gynecologists would mean, mean that you would be on call 365 days and Any time of the day or night, you have to run. And that my husband was already doing anyway. Because any caesarean section, he has to go in the night, sometimes two or three times in the night. And I said, we are going to have a family soon. I didn't want to be, you know, running that way. And that's why I took up pathology. I had a, you know, already set up practice. I just have to, uh, like my husband uh, stepped into my father-in-law shoes. I had to slip into my mother-in-law slippers. That's how it was, you know, coined. So it became very easy for me to choose. And um, I was fortunate enough to get a seat in Bangalore itself because by that time I had my son. He was born and he was four months old when I got the seat for pathology and it was in Bangalore. So it kind of suited me perfectly. And that's how I went on to become a pathologist.
0: Okay. Clearly life is very kind with you and a lot of plans just fell in place very automatically. Now, as you progress both in your life as a mother and a pathologist, what about lifestyle and uh, life design? Was it all that you were consciously looking into or was fitness and good health and gut health that you speak about so much? All of this part of, I know, medicine, but of medicine was it also part of your lifestyle uh, because once women turn mothers they kind of give up on themselves since the focus is completely family and yes. uh, the children so did such a twist happen to you too that your focus went that side and less focus on you uh, i'd love to know that part of your journey as well
1: um i i always put family first That was something that I I was very sure about. Mm -hmm. Now, whether the focus shifted from me to the family, I never looked at at it that way. Mm -hmm. Because for me, everything was one. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. uh, once the children came along, yes, you do what is required for the children. But I never uh, realized that there is something called as a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's basically i went with the flow whatever was you know i thought was required for me to do i i just i just went with it uh, never really having anything especially uh, uh, you know focused on uh, taking care of the children do it you have to take care of the lab do it but i have the um like you said you know life was very kind to me whatever I wanted was was just there I didn't really have to struggle or go towards it and think that this is what I want to do it it was never the thing it's just that whatever came my way I made the best use of that yeah. and um Uh, uh, the children I don't know they just they just grew up because I had my in-laws with me that was a huge support Rashmi because um, uh, my mother-in-law also shifted her timings in such a way that if I'm going to the lab um, by the time the children come home I'm home and then she would take over so the children never missed me Uh, I was always there with them seeing them off to school and when they came back I would be there at home and spend time with them, and uh, get you know get the dinner cooking and make sure that the dinner is there. I'm there with them. Uh, and I mean, sometimes really wonders. Uh, where did all those years go? How did the children suddenly go? And sometimes some of the anecdotes, some uh, instances which we the children and me sit and talk and laugh about, he said, "I missed this. You know, I wasn't there." So I consider myself very fortunate that I could be there. And I even went to all kinds of cooking classes because I wanted to cook what my children liked. I was never a cook. I was, you know, I was I had no time to go into the kitchen. So, but when the children wanted, they liked something, I actually took it upon myself. I know I am having very limited time with them. Very soon they'll fly the nest. But I wanted to maximize on that. So I did that. Uh, but nutrition was not my, uh, what shall I say, in the forefront, it's not something. It's just that they have to eat something um, uh, uh, sumptuous and something yum. That if they said it's good, it made my day. That was it. And I would always say that I, it's fortunate that I eat whatever is there. I didn't have any preferences. I can eat anything as long as it's edible. If some food I should it says I say is not good, it should be so bad. So only then I will say, no, this is not okay. And I'm not very particular about, you know, a little spicier thing. So to know all those nuances, I went for these cooking classes so that I know what I'm doing. But uh, that was one thing. And uh, exercise was something I loved doing. I, I wanted to be in shape because I was a very plump kid and I was, you know, called fatty and all kinds of things when I was in school. So when I was coming to college and I was going to Mount Carmel College, I was like, no, you know. I need to look good. And during my 10 standard, after my 10 the summer holidays, I went into this rigorous exercise regime and started really cutting down on the sweets and all that. And so by the time I came to college, I had kind of slimmed down. And after that, I have I have you know tried to maintain it that way. So even after the deliveries, although you know I bloated up like a balloon during both my pregnancies, I managed to you know lose all that weight. So uh, fitness and exercise was something that i um, really was focusing on mm-hmm. but that's about it in lifestyle these are the two things we you know about food but also i said it's not the nutritious food that i was thinking about it's just that food which tastes good that okay. that was the thing about exercise so okay. those were two things yeah. yeah
0: so fitness was part of your uh, lifestyle because at that age it was more about looking good and as you grow older, you started realizing it's important to stay fit and be fit. And that's how you continued it. Yeah. When and what altered? Because today, everyone's talking about lifestyle and what you put into your mouth, gut health, and why it is important to be fit. And it's not around your BMI, but there are many other factors that contribute to a good, healthy individual. So when did all these start shifting in you to actually go on, study it further and refocus yourself and your career into making people aware of it?
1: Yeah, so this started sometime uh, during the pandemic. Um, Actually, our daughter uh, Priya, she decided she wanted to become a vegetarian we are Uh, non-vegetarians you know basically we used to even eat uh, non-veg three times a day Uh, so uh, she decided that she wants to become a vegetarian Uh, not because of anything it's only because of uh, the environmental reasons she said I just know that it is better for the health of the thing uh, for the of the earth so that's why she decided that she wants to turn vegetarian and we respected it uh, so I would start uh, cooking but she was in the hostel that time so <clears throat> she whenever she would come I would say give me a day's notice when you're coming home because I need to have food otherwise it's all non-veg in the house so it started and and um, that's in the final year you know, the second half of a final year is when they started and then the pandemic hit and She would be at home, so I had to cook anyway for her. So I would say, hey, if I'm cooking for her, I might as well as also eat that. And I told my husband, maybe, you know, we'll do one thing that is okay. My son had already uh, moved to the UK by then. So I said for my husband, I will uh, cook one, one, you know, one dish or something. The rest of the Priya and I, you know, we are majority. So we'll eat the vegetarian, which was okay. And as we were doing this, uh, a colleague of mine, my classmate who was in the... U.S. Uh, I we happened to have these Zoom calls where we would we would you know interact because that was the only way we could have friends and talk and all that. And that's when she told me that uh, there is this new branch in medicine which has started in the U.S. and they call it lifestyle medicine. And she's studying for it. Like she was a very uh, health conscious, and she was uh, she was also a ready who had turned vegetarian and then vegan. And now when she got to know about this lifestyle medicine, was actually you know, studying to write that exam. And she kind of gave me a clue about what it is. And around December is when she wrote the exam and they passed. Okay. And she passed and she became a lifestyle medicine doctor. And she told me that if you want to pursue, you can do it too, because now they are conducting these exams in India also, because they have a society in India, which has started. So why don't you give it a go? And that got me interested. And from January, that's January of 2021, I decided that I'm going to go what we call as whole food plant-based way. We don't have Uh, any um, uh, non-veg food we won't have any dairy and we eat food which is whole like when you're talking about an apple I'm eating an apple I can see that I'm eating an apple and no, no processed food so I just shifted to it and I could see the difference that it made to me effortlessly you started losing weight I didn't have it's not like you know every day I'm weighing myself just like that I started doing and I continued with my exercise regimen and uh, lo and behold uh, the target, I had a target weight which I was finding it's so difficult, you know the last 2-3 kilos are so difficult to lose, just like that I happened to lose it. Then I said yes, you know there is more science, I started studying for that exam, wrote the exam the next year, so in the end of um, uh, 2021 I wrote the exam and you know i passed it so that's how i started becoming a lifestyle medicine physician too so and i'm i see that uh, it has made so much of a difference uh, to me and since i've been hearing so many other doctors who took the exam with me the uh, how people are reversing their conditions and uh, it's just one small choice which you make mm-hmm. can make a huge impact to your life and it has made me so passionate that I want this awareness to spread far and wide. And the more people who get to know about it and practice it, the better it is for for our health and for the health of the environment and the earth. That. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I
0: love this point that you're bringing across, Pratima. That uh, you added this conscious eating into your other uh, otherwise typical lifestyle that you are leading right the exercise and fitness but when we talk about weight management many people say 80% is your diet so what is it about this particular uh, diet based lifestyle that you are really in love with it's very evident you're passionate about it and believe everything that you do and you studied in this uh, course So if there is someone who comes to you as a consultant, they come to you and they ask you that, what should I shift? I have moderate exercise. I go for a walk every day for maybe 40 minutes. But what in my lifestyle and diet should I change in order to see the difference? Because the way you said that it it was just so easy to lose that difficult two, three kilos, just by being conscious of eating whole food. So what do you mean when you say that be conscious of eating whole food? What is it that uh, we should be really aware of into what we put in our system?
1: Yeah, um, uh, the answer to this won't be a very simple this and that, uh, Rashmi. Um, the thing is, what is uh, what we uh, lifestyle medicine physicians do is Uh, there is a shift from the um, earlier uh, thing of the doctors saying, oh, you want this, This this is what you have to do and write a prescription and follow this. That's not how we will be working. So for us, it is about the patient being the center and the patient is the driver. They decide what they want And they decide how much of what is required they can do. We are there only as coaches who will walk along with them. And if they fall two steps back, we come back. So, you know, and... It's a very compassionate way of doing things, so the patient doesn't feel belittled or you know feel oh I, I don't want to go I'm scared you know that doctor's going to now say you didn't follow my say it's not that way because it's not about what the doctor wants it's about what they want what the patient wants so that makes our job very easy because they are the drivers they decide what they want to do they decide how much they want to do and they decide where they want to start from we can only give them See, this is what you need to do tell me what it is that you are ready to do and we see that one small change they see that a very something where it is very easy to do if they can make that as a habit then they will see, oh, yeah, it is easy. It's not very difficult. And then they make this one change. And then they see the difference. And then we say, okay, you want to do a little more. Is it possible for you to add another change? And then they will say, yes. I mean, if I could do this, that's become my habit. I will do that change. And before they know it, they have done all the changes. And they have done it on their own. We have only been showing how it can be done. So I tell my patients, you tell me what you want. I will show you how you. I love that. It is, it is, they need to know what they want and why they want. That why is very important. Mm-hmm. They are why. Why am I going to, why do I want this? And if that becomes very clear, then the rest of the journey becomes easy. Mm-hmm. So can you take us through a case
0: study? Any uh, patient of yours, of course, you don't need to name them, but something that set out as a challenge for you when you got on that journey, and it surprised you too, the way the things progressed and how the journey opened up.
1: Um, I will tell you about my husband. For me, I know, for me, I can just decide on something and I'll do it. For me, it's like all or run. I do it or I don't do it. Nothing in between. So uh, they make fun of me, uh, Rashmi. They say, mom, everybody is not like you. Everybody doesn't have the thing uh, to say that, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do. We we are going to go up and down. And that is, I am seeing it with my uh, uh, clients and my uh, uh, people I interact with and all that. They say, oh no, that's not possible by me. So one thing is, With my husband, like I said, we were three times a day non-vegetarian eaters and just to shift was not easy. I, of course, decided I'm not going to. Of course, I also started because my daughter became a vegetarian. I became a vegetarian. And after six months, I decided that I'm going to go whole food plant based that way. For my husband, it wasn't so easy because he still craved for having a little bit of non-veg and sweets. He has such a sweet tooth that uh, he couldn't refuse. So if he sees, he has to eat it. So then we decided, okay, most of the time, about five days in a week, we're going to have this whole food plant based and twice a week, you know, with the when we go out or we entertaining people, people come home, we're going to have something that he likes some non-vegetarian or something so he feels happy he doesn't get deprived he doesn't feel deprived that thing so for his you know that sweet tooth for uh, having that thing he would he would have that and he saw that it started making a remarkable change for his weight his glycosylated hemoglobin which was about in the borderline like you know we call it like pre-diabetic although in Indian scenario we not we don't have pre-diabetes but by the western literature it is pre-diabetes so it started coming down from 6.4 it has come to pre-diabetic just by doing these little changes and that is when you know you see yes it does make a difference the second thing was with my father-in-law unfortunately we lost him this in 2023 october but he was have very bad peripheral neuritis i mean he is of course a a patient who almost um, didn't make it when he had his first heart attack at the age of 50 but thanks to a nurse who was there you know who gave him that cardiac thump and revived him and he has lived for 38 years post that with of course um, uh, two three angioplasties and many other uh, illnesses that he had to endure he recovered from all of that, but his diabetes was really getting to him. He started developing um, wounds in his uh, feet. And then he had what we call as peripheral neuritis, you know, just pain in the legs, which started becoming very painful, especially in the nights. And he would really hold to his end. We felt so bad because we had done all the medical therapies, so-called to say, and he wasn't on so many medications, but Uh, The wound also was becoming bad. In fact, the vascular surgeon said, if this is a thing, we may have to even amputate. Imagine he is 88 years old and an amputation is not going to go down easy with him. Plus, whether he's a candidate for, you know, that surgery was something that was there. And just when we decided that, I said, no, I want to try. You know, this is what I'm learning. I know that it makes a difference and we could see the change predominantly plant-based diet no non-vegetarian minimal oil that that he was using in his things his pain started coming down his wounds started to heal at the same time you know you have guests in the house somebody comes and you know two three days on end he starts you know having the non-veg and having the oily food and all that you would see that he would be holding his leg at the end of the day; that it's hurting me. The pain is there, and then you get these blebs in these diabetic patients. You get this, they would start increasing in number, in size, and then once the you know uh, he goes back into this diet, they would again go down. His pain would come down, and uh, Rashmi, he had some seven, eight wounds on his leg a week before he died all of them had healed. One week before I told him, mom, I don't have to do any more dressings. Otherwise, the past four years, every alternate day, sometimes every day, uh, every other day, we had to do the dressing for him for the wounds and all that. It was all clear, Rashmi. I, I like, for me, this was something that was happening in front of my eyes. And this is it. You know, I said this, I have all the proof that I need and I, ne- you know, I can tell it. I mean, the, there are other studies and journals and all the RCTs that are happening that are happening by the side, which we can quote, we can uh, uh, put it in our uh, presentations and tell patients. But this was happening in front of my eyes. And I thought, I I don't need to look any further. It's, it's amazing, Pratima, when you speak
0: uh, and you're sharing this story. So you shifted from a three-time non-veg diet to one-time or maybe twice plant-based diet, less of oil, and that brought in so much of a shift in the health aspect itself. Yes, and too, yes. for somebody who is 85 plus, is yes. something that is surprising how the body can react even at any age.
1: Yes, it doesn't at any matter age, how
0: old age, you are. Age is, not,
1: age is not a bar at all okay okay yeah.
0: so uh, this is a a very simple question but a curious one nevertheless uh, that means vegetarians are all
1: very healthy there is a difference when you define vegetarian okay because in india milk is considered vegetarian i mean everywhere not just in india world over Uh, milk is considered a vegetarian food but it's coming from an animal Mm -hmm. so one of the doctors even went on to describe it as liquid meat right because it's coming from an animal it has animal protein in it so in all for all practical purposes it is not vegetarian and you can see that forms a huge part of our Indian diet whether it is milk milk products Your ghee, butter, all of them come from milk. And then we have the sweets. Most of our sweets, you know, barring the the few sweets that in South India that we prepare with coconut milk, most of them are prepared with uh, 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 dairy. The other thing is the sweetness that we use. It's all processed. Sugar is processed. Jaggery is one step, you know, below sugar. But for all practical purposes, it is, is also processed. So most what we when we say vegetarian, it may be vegetarian, but most of it is processed food. Your oil itself is processed. Mm-hmm. You're getting it from the groundnuts. Like if you're making groundnut oil, it's coming from the groundnut. So it is processed. Eat the groundnuts. We we tell our patients, eat the groundnuts. You want the fat, take it directly from the source. Eat the sunflower seeds, you know, have a little bit of the coconut. Don't need the coconut oil. So when we say this, if you see, most of our Indians are also eating this. And that is why we are the diabetes capital of the world. Oh, we, can, oh. we can put it like that. Yeah.
0: Okay. okay. So simple changes can be, if you can list out a few simple changes for somebody who already follows a plant-based diet by being the vegetarian in India. Apart from removing dairy, and if you remove dairy, I heard you speak about how you can replace it with almond milk or coconut milk, but that's far more expensive than the milk that we get, right? So the only contention when I was speaking to people that I got was it's very expensive to become vegan in India. I didn't have a counter for that. And if somebody tells you that, Pratima, that it's very expensive to be vegan in India, so that's how we depend a little bit on the milk that we consume, what would your counter arguments be?
1: I would say we don't need milk. The milk is required only for the infant to grow from zero to one. In fact... 70% of us are lactose intolerant, which means we lose that enzyme that is required to digest lactose, which -hmm. means the child once past one or two years doesn't need that milk at all. And up to that age, they're getting it from the mother. Mm -hmm. So we don't need an external source. Post that, whatever nutrition we need, we are getting it from the food that we are going to eat. We don't need milk at all. Okay, but. We like our coffee, we like our tea. So here and there you add a you know little bit of milk, that won't make a big difference. But if you can top that also and have just black coffee or black tea, that will suffice. So you don't need, you don't really need to prepare your almond milk or prepare your coconut milk. You don't need that at all. You eat a handful of almonds, whatever the nutrition that you're getting, you're getting it from there. Now, if you want to sit and insist, no, I want a milk, no matter what, then yes, then you have to kind of, you know, uh, substitute it with different milks. But we really don't need that milk. So, you know, that that is something that we see. So if you feel that even when you taste the almond milk and the uh, if you have it in your coffee, it doesn't taste like the same coffee. You need to develop a taste for that kind of coffee. So why not? developer taste for the milkless coffee okay. it's, it's 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 you know it's as easy as that and it's not just um you don't have to go for almonds only there's oats oats are quite Not so expensive as almonds. Oat milk is also something that you can prepare. You can prepare it at home. You don't need to buy it or do anything. Even almond milk, you can prepare it at home. You just, all that you have to do is soak some, you know, uh, 10 to 12 almonds and you put one and a half cups of water in it, you know, soak it, grind it, and your uh, milk is there. So you don't have to, when you purchase it from outside, yes, it becomes an expensive proposition. Plus, they would have added a lot of preservatives in it. So, you really yeah. don't need it. Yeah. So, I yeah. will say that um, uh, it is expensive is a kind of a myth. It is something because it is hyped. The, the vegan cult is, you know, they made it sound like very different and all that, but it's not really so difficult to follow. We just need to know what is it that they are doing. And when you do it at home, you don't find. And how all that we are saying is eat whole foods as in you know fruits nuts whole grains uh, and vegetables and pulses Hmm. in India we have no dearth for the pulses you know as many the stars are there you have that many uh, pulses that you get in India that's all that we are it's not so difficult that is all that we are saying that you need to eat and which we can easily prepare our indian dishes are so so easy to prepare uh, given these uh, uh, these things that we are allowed to eat mm. so yeah and
0: another thing is the oil that we use while cooking right okay yes for certain dishes lose a lot of it but a little oil is very important and necessary for the lubrication of us also so an oil less diet they say, is also not very good in the long run. Is it a myth or is it
1: also true? Would you agree or disagree? Uh, That is a myth. When you talked about lubrication, yes, you want to lubricate your skin, take a little bit of oil and put, yes, it, it lubricates. But we should understand that when we are taking any food into our mouth, it is to it is going to go through the entire digestive system which means that it is going to be broken down into its little little parts and only then it can be absorbed mm-hmm. right so it's not that the oil it's not like you're oiling the machine that i, I because I, I i know where you're coming from because i have heard this a lot from a, a lot of you know friends relatives and my patients also It is a misconception that the oil that you take orally is going to lubricate your joints. It's not. It's not going to because whatever that you take is going to be broken down. And it doesn't matter in what form you're taking it. If you're talking about coconut oil, the little coconut that you're doing, it is also going to be broken down the same way that the coconut oil is going to be broken down. In fact, taking the coconut is better because it is coming with the extra fiber, which is the oil is totally devoid of it yeah okay every good thing except the fat and that it's fortified with the fat and then you're taking the oil whereas if you take the whole food it comes with the fiber and the other phytonutrients the other good things that are there in the plants are also getting into you and they are very important for your well-being yeah so that, you know, so that is one of the reasons and many, uh, in fact, this is a kind of, a, uh, what shall I say, uh, people with rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. they do really well when they ship to these raw foods, more of, you know, not, you know, uh, uh, lightly cooked and if they go oil free, it really helps them. Which is, you know, in contrast to you saying that the (laughs) oil is going to... Yeah, yeah. So the studies are on for this, but many, many rheumatoid arthritis patients get a lot of relief from their symptoms when they eat this way, eating the whole food with less processed and less oil. Okay. So in a way, from whatever you said so
0: far, having a meal which is plant-based and less of cooking is something that you can whip up in a matter of five, 10 minutes when it comes to uh, cooking and eating and having
1: this lifestyle, right or wrong? Uh, yes and no. Because if you're not having oil in the cooking, it's going to take a little longer to cook because you, know, you need to keep sprinkling the water so that it doesn't. So yeah. it'll take longer. Whereas when you put oil in a oh, chak chak, chuck it's done and before you know it the dish is ready so I get it you know so that is the reason why probably these things have been introduced into the cooking because when you need to cook large numbers when you need to cook uh, quickly and you really have to head out of you know to work so that's when we help uh, what we say is do the meal preps Mm -hmm. and keep it so, you know, during one day in a week, you do the meal prepping and you keep, then cooking becomes easy. You have it all chopped and you put it in the fridge or you put it in the freezer. None, none, your nutrition is not gone when you put it in the freezer. Many people think that, oh, the freezer, no, it is quite fresh. Everything is turned into, you know, frozen and kept. So you just take out there and you do your cooking. So that way, yes, it's easier to cook. And nowadays we have the uh, air fryers, we have the instant pots, we have the pressure cookers, all of them help you. And if you steam, most uh, uh, everything remains in it, right? So you can use the food that way. That way cooking becomes um, fun and easy and it's colorful. You should see those because, you know, they are just right the way they have been cooked, no? The dishes are really colorful and very attractive. So uh, you you actually want to eat that. So
0: (laughs) Okay. So Pratima, we are at that part of the interview where uh, I asked two definite questions. One is uh, the pandemic was the reason why this podcast was born because it was a game changer for a lot of us when we went inward to reflect. Okay, whether it's our personal lives which needed a shift or... Many moved to the question of what can I give back? Because we were so lost in leading our lives by our own selves and limiting it to our little family or a small group of people. Suddenly, the pandemic made us all one. So everyone was wanting to contribute something and make a difference. And this podcast, the main purpose was looking at people who've gone beyond themselves to make a difference to society. Today, people are talking environment, And this topic doesn't seem out of place. People are talking about healthy eating, healthy lifestyle. None of them seem out of place because these topics sometime back would be like, okay, please, now enough. And today the pandemic taught us all these lessons and told us how it's important. And that's where when you spoke that day that I was there in the room, I noticed how much had shifted with the number of questions that came, the type of questions that came from the audience, all of that was the trigger why i invited you apart from this what were some of the other lessons that the pandemic taught you meeting people
1: that is something that that really we did we could never imagine that you could you couldn't actually go out and meet somebody you know really that touch that that um, actually f- coming face to face with somebody that was not allowed that was something that really kind of uh, shook and something that we have never experienced right yeah. and then these slowly these zoom meetings like we are still now using it it came into uh, being and now it's a part and parcel of the way we live but nothing can um, uh, replace this actual offline meeting as we say that is what you know it it showed how important it is that for me that is what was the most important thing to be able to meet to actually go out there and do something that was something i really missed okay. during yeah okay. and uh, three life lessons that you would like to leave us with one thing is hope i feel hope is something that keeps us going, no matter what, whatever the situation, the hope that this is going to end, and something different, we don't know what that different is, that something different is going to happen. And the hope that it will be better, it will become better than what it is, is what I feel we should not lose that, keep that hope alive. Mm -hmm. And it will sail you through any kind of situation. I feel that is important. Um, Second thing is what, again, my lifestyle medicine and the pandemic kind of thought is the introspection, becoming more self-aware, believing in yourself. Most of the time we are so taken away by what Um, others tell about us uh, their judgment it kind of gets ingrained in us we forget who we actually are we tend to live a life what the others think we should be living and we think that is us but this taught me that you need to kind of think for yourself what you it may not not everybody is going to agree with you and maybe nobody is going to agree with you but it's okay to you know to say that it's okay you need to believe in yourself and you need to just do what you think is okay as long i mean of course you you are not meaning that you're going to harm somebody or do something wrong to somebody but about you you have to have that belief about your things so that's one thing and something that i have it has time and again has showed me is that um if you sincerely want something, you know, not not grudging or, you know, saying anything, thinking bad about anything, anybody else or anything, but you sincerely want something to happen. I feel the whole universe will come to make it happen for you. That sincerity has to be there and it will happen. For me, that is a belief that I have. Wow, I love it. Simple yet very, very true.
0: Each one of the life lessons that you've uh, told us and shared with us, especially hope. I think every moment of our life is only hope. And uh, the moment we have it with us, life shifts in the way it even seems to us. And what life projects to us. So really beautiful, Pratima. And in the end, any parting thoughts or anything that you want to share just before we wind up this conversation? Any
1: last thoughts? Um, I just want lifestyle medicine to be the, the kind of thing to go to. And I want more and more people to kind of become aware of it and change their lives so that everybody's life improves. It's good for us, for the animals, for the planet, for the universe. It's something that we can give back without actually doing anything. Wow, yeah. that's true. We can give back without actually
0: doing anything, just being conscious with what we have at our uh, uh, disposal. And uh, the more we do that, I'm sure more people like you would be happier and happier that the word is spreading far and wide. Yes. 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 Thank you so very much, Pratima. An honor to have had you on you and I with Rashmi Shetty. Stay blessed. Love the work that you're doing. All power to you and the word that you're spreading on
1: just change your lifestyle. It's actually simple to lead a healthy lifestyle. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you, Rashmi. Thank you so much for inviting me, and it was my pleasure too to be talking to you. Thank you.
0: With that, we come to the end of this weekly quest of You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Do let us know if you know people who make the world beautiful. Write in to eye at gmail.com That is R-A-S-H-M-I dot T-H-E-T-H-I-R-D-E-Y-E at gmail.com Come. Let's explore this amazing world together, both you and I.